What's going on, everybody? Welcome to AwesomeOak.com's NFL on the Contrary Show. I'm Dave Lockerin. With me, as always, number one ranked DFS player in the world, Alex Baker. Alex, week three, man. It is finally upon us. A ton of injuries, 13 games to talk about. How you feeling? Good, man. It feels like week two because I'm ready to forget about what actually happened in week two. So just happy to have another chance at uh, winning one of these big prizes in a new week. And I'm very excited to announce uh, our guest for week three here. It's been long overdue. Really happy to have this reunion. Who knew it would be in 2020? I'd be with Osimo and him, Davis Maddock, who I worked with for many years in the fantasy insider days, back at the inception of the DFS world. He's now over there at SportsGrid. He's the host of the Take Cast and, of course, the long-running Swole Cast. Man, I'm glad to be back with you. What's going on, brother? You know, I'm very, I'm very happy to be here chatting with you, Lafie. It's, uh, it's been, it's been too long. And, you know, it's, it's like, it's like riding a bike, you know, there's, there's just, we'll, we'll be able to fall right back, right back into our old, uh, old routines. You know, we can, we can vibe with that. That's, <laughs> yeah, we sure can. <laughs> I, I actually, um, I, I told Justine today, my wife, I was like, yeah, I'm going on with uh, Davis Maddox. She's like, oh, well, the one from San Diego, right? So even you left an impression upon her. It's good stuff. Well, there you go. I mean, oftentimes people, I find that I do leave an impression on them because I just annoy the shit out of them for just, you know, hours on end. And they really, it's very hard to forget that. Happy to have everyone with us as always. Hammer that thumbs up button. If you're just jumping in, subscribe and hit the notification bell if you haven't done so yet. We got content for all sports every day of the week, all hours of every day. So you always know when new content's dropping next. Of course, we got Jordan Klein producing today. He's going to be working the controls Alex, let me start with you. Before we get into these games, uh, and if you're new to On the Contrary, we're not taking your generic cash game approach here. Uh, we're coming in with some hot takes based in reason, which is why Davis Maddock is perfect for this show. Uh, and of course, you too, Alex. Uh, before we jump into the games, I, I want to ask you something, being that it's an On the Contrary show, it's a contrarian show. What is it that makes a good contrarian team or game stack for every week of NFL? Because I think a lot of people look at teams, look at games, they say, oh, that's low owned. And that's their immediate assumption is just because something isn't heavily owned because it's ignored that it immediately makes it a good play. Yeah, I mean, when we think of good football games, it's usually like a lot of passing. Like you got two really good teams that are putting up points and then the game's flowing. Uh, and that's what makes a good game stack, right? So when you got game like Dallas-Seattle this week, two good quarterbacks, or even Arizona-Detroit, there's like a pretty good chance that'll happen. There's also a very good chance that one of the teams will just be up and then they'll grind the clock down to a halt, and you won't get that fourth quarter production to put you over the edge into the, the winning spot. But then like, if you go down to like games that aren't as likely for that to happen, ones with lower totals like a good example this week could be the giants in, in san francisco where both teams are just like completely ravaged by injuries like the the chance of that game like blowing up like dallas seattle isn't as high but uh when it does you're going to be competing with less people for the win so um most of the time with a good contrarian stack there's only one thing in the way of success like either you have a really good passing team that uh is a big favorite and you need the other team to produce a good example would be indianapolis versus the jets where if the jets somehow come out and, and put up a lot of points and rivers is an amazing spot or you get a um a bad team where they're big underdogs and they're just gonna pass a ton and you're hoping they can they can get it done like haskins versus the browns um, but they're not very good at passing, so it's not as likely. So it's like you gotta you gotta like figure out one one team that maybe <clears throat> there's only one barrier to their success and, and go with them, and they're gonna be a little bit under the radar. But Davis, how, how do you approach the stacking as far as contrarian chalk stacks, game stacks? What do you do? So I think the easiest ways to find contrarian game stacks are find the games that are going to be relatively popular. So, you know, we have Detroit, Arizona, we have Dallas and Seattle these weeks, and then find the roster constructions that people won't be using from those games. So for example, 
everyone and their mother is going to stack Russell Wilson with one of Metcalf and uh, uh, Tyler Lockett, but they're be much less likely to bring that back with someone like Dalton Schultz or Ezekiel Elliott, whereas the popular bringbacks, you know, would be Gallup. Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. I think that's kind of ba- that's like the um the contrarian 101 way to approach it. And then I, I think the other thing you said is exactly right on is you try and find the popular games that could actually see a lot of passing attempts. So, you know, some of the ways you could do that would be, you know, obviously if a team like randomly is just suffering a bunch of defensive injuries, like it just kind of piles up one week where they have like four defensive starters out. Or, uh, you know, just games where uh, when they when teams get behind, they're much more likely to pass. And that's, you know, that's kind of different from their normal rate. So like uh, an example of a game where I don't like that theory at all is going to be Tennessee and Minnesota, because even when those teams get behind by a ton, you know, I just I just don't think that we're going to see loads of them. Uh, you know, loads of of pass attempts. I think a, an example where teams would be willing to break that structure is going to be the Rams and the Bills, where both of those teams, when they're trailing or even in neutral in situation neutral scripts, they're much more likely to go pass heavy. Yeah, the Bills have played with leads in back to back games, and and Josh Allen threw for his first and second three hundred yard games of his career. One of them eclipsing four hundred yards. Uh, Davis, let me stick with you for a second. Uh, kind of in the same vein here, you're you're looking to make good decisions that are different from the field, but not stupid. And as I was making groups today on Fantasy Cruncher for week three, uh, I, I was considering, you know, what, if any, running backs am I willing to, to roster with my quarterback? Last week uh, with Brian Hooper, we talked about, do you ever want to run running backs, uh, uh, run them back against your team or in your stack with uh, as the only player from the opposite team. But what about running backs? For example, somebody like Austin Eckler a lot last year would have been in Phillip Rivers stacks. People would have not um, would have included him. Miles Sanders seems to be getting a lot of looks. Barkley and McCaffrey when they're active are, are two other examples. But is it worth it to include them in your in your groupings for these teams when you're making team and game stacks? Yeah, I definitely think so, because those are going to be the far lower owned options, right? Like Kenyon Drake with Kyler Murray is just going to be so much like I I would actually bet that not only will Kenyon Drake with Kyler Murray be lower owned than DeAndre Hopkins, I would actually think more people would roster Christian Kirk with Kyler Murray than they would with Kenyon Drake. I think the same is true with Dak and Zeke and those pass catchers. I think the same thing would be. You know, it's okay. All right, Alex. So let's close this conversation with this, and then we'll get into the games. Davis mentioned being able to take a popular game and maybe get some less popular pieces of that game. How do you, what is your process for selecting pass catchers that make it or don't make it into these groups and into these stacks for each week? Yeah, the tough thing is in fantasy football, like most teams don't have a ton of guys you can realistically roster without just like tanking your chances of cashing. And um, I mean, uh, example could be the uh, Vikings where Adam Thielen's really the only guy that puts up any sort of meaningful like production every week. So like on those teams, it's like, you could stack up Justin Jefferson and, and BC Johnson instead of Thielen, but like, man, you're, you're really shooting yourself in the foot there. I kind of, if I'm having Kirk Cousins, I probably want Thielen. If you go to a team like Dallas, there's just so many more targets that that put up production. I mean, you got Gallup and Lamb and Cooper, and then Ezekiel Elliott is putting up a lot of receiving yardage. So your options for stacking are just a lot greater. So. Like the conclusion that I'm reaching this week is I, I see Kyler Murray is the, the highest owned quarterback, but really the only good good pairing is with Hopkins. So I think like if you if you play Kyler Murray like in Hopkins, you're just gonna overlap a ton with other people. So I might just fade that team just because I feel like it's too difficult to come up with a unique lineup using Kyler Murray. 
Throughout the week, we have the NFL Strategy Show Monday through Saturday, and uh, we break all of the games down Thursday with myself and Matt Savoka's the full matchup breakdown. And then tomorrow, the deeper dive leading up until lock three-hour stream right here on the channel. We'll hit on every game as well. But uh, we really want to spend some time getting into the uh, the strong pivots, contrarian plays, and, and not, not just plays, but decisions for this slate uh, and the way to approach it. So, Davis, I'll throw it over to you, man. We've got... Two players right now uh, with our awesome ownership projections owners that are coming in above 30%, Miles Sanders and DeAndre Hopkins. Now, we all know with chalk, specifically for, for uh, running back, one of the things that make that differentiates good chalk and bad chalk is, is flat just opportunity, right? How much volume are they going to get? How much can we count on them? Can they catch passes out of the backfield and get 20 carries? Miles Sanders is that guy. Uh, and it's also very probable or, or it, it's very possible that Doug Peterson looks to to lessen the responsibility on Carson Wentz maybe going into week three after a dreadful start to the year. Miles Sanders, very popular. How do we approach that knowing that the volume is almost certainly going to be there barring an injury? I don't I have no um, no thoughts in my head of like trying to get off of Miles Sanders. I think that. At running back, instead of thinking about consciously fading guys, I think the right way to think of it is what are some of the guys who can get, who can approximate these scores, right? So instead of thinking, I'm not going to play Miles Sanders in my MME run or in single entry or three max, I would say, you know, what is the likelihood that Derrick Henry is able to outscore, not, not only outscore Sanders overall, but like outscore him at the price to make it uh, relative. So like, can Derrick Henry get 31 while Myers Sanders gets 24 and then kind of use that to guide your ownership at wide receiver, because the scoring is so volatile, you know, these guys are getting 12 opportunities a game instead of 25 opportunities a game. I think there's way more of, I, I think you have way more leeway to just be like, well, I'm just not going to play DeAndre Hopkins in my 150 run or last week. I'm not going to play Devonte Adams in my 150 run, but because there's just a limited number of running backs in a given week who can actually even get, 30 points, I, I think there's way less value in getting off someone like Miles Sanders. Yeah, and Alex, right now Hopkins hauling in 33% ownership. Tyler Lockett's at 26, but there's an abundance of skilled wide receivers scattered throughout the player pool this week in great spots. We'll get to that Bills-Rams game that Davis mentioned. I think there's an incredible amount of opportunity there uh, and other spots that are going overlooked. Uh, does that give us some 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 leeway when it comes to getting off of someone like Hopkins? Because people are all over this game. They see a 55 and a half point total, 30 plus point implied total for Arizona and game's over. Yeah, I think uh, Hopkins is a great play this week. I, I agree with everything Davis was saying about how with running backs, there just aren't as many guys that can get there. And that makes a guy like Miles Sanders more valuable than Hopkins in a certain way because – like we see like random receivers every week put up big scores. I think Danny Amendola had like two 20 point games last year, you know, and he averaged like 40 or 50 yards or something. So it's like you got three wide receivers per team. They all have upside because that position is so variant. And uh, that makes it a little harder to replace a Miles Sanders uh, than DeAndre Hopkins. But to answer your original question, like, how, what are we doing with Hopkins? I guess it's like you, you don't need to go contrary in with every pick in your lineup. So I'm just going to be playing a lot of these good players like Sanders and Hopkins, but then trying to also pair them with some under the radar options that we'll talk about later. Davis, let's zoom in a little <laughs> bit at the running back position. Circle back to Miles Sanders here because I think you made some good points uh, as far as you know. Derrick Henry at that price, can he outproduce Sanders? Uh, there's more too, though, right? You've got, uh, and, and, and this isn't to say that all of these guys are in pristine spots, but just to name a few workhorse backs, some of whom are actually getting more involved in the passing game as well. Josh Jacobs wasn't at practice Thursday. I don't know if he practiced today or if we even know yet. Uh, he did. West, West Coast time zone, bro. We, we, we're just finding out right now. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's back. Uh, he's got a New England team that had a ton of opt-outs defensively and has looked like a shell of themselves against better players. Granted, you know, Miami, and then you go against Wilson, who's, in my opinion, a top three quarterback, you're going to struggle. But they really struggled. So you've got Taylor against them. If that game stays close, you're locking in 20-plus carries. Jonathan Taylor against the Jets, 11.5-point favorites. Nick Chubb, who in a positive game script is almost certain to get 
18 to 22 carries, even if Kareem Hunt gets a lot of work. Eckler has huge touchdown favorites against Carolina. And uh, I'll even throw in one more. James Conner against Houston. They're only laying four points. But James Conner came back after looking like he was going to be ruled out throughout the entirety of that week and that Benny Snell would have the backfield. Uh, he comes in and picks up 16 carries and pops it in the end zone. So to your point, there are a lot of guys in that uh, 6K to low 7K range that could be very appealing at low ownership. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there are a plethora of ways that you can get off of Miles Sanders on DraftKings and FanDuel this week. You know, I think that Jonathan Taylor is super strong. I think Devin Singletary with Zach Moss out is, I actually think he's probably the play that ends up getting a little bit underrated this week because, you know, people are so focused on the Josh Allen rushing. But yeah. from weeks 8 to 16 last year, no Bill starters played in week 17. Singletary handled 48% of the team's rushes, 13% of the team's targets. Now, granted, uh, Steph Diggs was not on the team last year, but Josh Allen also seems like he's playing better this year than last year. And at his price tag on DraftKings specifically, my guess is that a lot of people do go with the Derrick Henry pivot with the James Conner pivot. Obviously, a lot of people are going to be playing uh, Ezekiel Elliott as well. My guess is that Singletary ends up being like one of those 10 to... 20% owned plays that's not like contrarian, but also isn't like super stone chalk that has like real slate winning upside. For sure. With Zach Moss out, it's definitely going to open things up. If he comes in between 10 and 15%, uh, I love it. And uh, Alex, I'm not even, I'm not even, I don't think any of us are advocating for a Miles Sanders fade here at all. Uh, but more so just to point out that people get sucked into this tunnel vision where you, know, you see a specific player, you really like him. You see, oh, okay, it seems like everyone else really likes him as well. It makes it very easy to ignore some of these other players who uh, could be in line for, here's the thing, they could be in line for equal or higher workloads given the way these games are set up. So that's that's the way I see it. Like Miles Sanders is an excellent play, but there are some guys that are easy 20-plus look type running backs, several of them with pass catching upside that – fit that exact same mold with way lower ownership, way less attention on them going into week three. Yeah, I mean, we got some great options at running back. Singletary, I think you guys called it. He's a great play with Zach Moss out. Uh, I mean, the, the value there is crazy. So I think he'll be somewhat popular. Um, we got guys like Kenyon Drake that maybe have been a little disappointing so far. So he's kind of seen his price fall to a point where he's a good play. Um, David Johnson with uh, Duke Johnson being kind of uh, limited or out. He, he seems like a workhorse back going up against Pittsburgh. That's a tough matchup, but the price is right at 5,400. So I think there, there's just like so many different ways you can build your lineup this week. It will be pretty fun to, to figure out which of these are the best plays. David Montgomery, less than 1% ownership. I know you guys are getting tired of me saying this, but I'm I'm steering that hype train right now. Tariq Cohen might have got the extension, but he's not been utilized much at all. Montgomery's ran only three fewer routes than him all in, in both games this season. Uh, and it looks like in last game where he went down with that injury in the second quarter, uh, he was easily pacing 20 plus carries in this one. So uh, no ownership on him at all in a game where most people are assuming it'll go strictly to the air. If it doesn't and Chicago's defense holds up enough to keep this competitive, uh, which I think they should Montgomery might be in for another big workload. So let, let's pivot off to, uh, to some of the most popular stacks this week, Davis. Sure. A lot of people are waiting for us to get to these. And the first one we already touched on it briefly is Arizona and the Detroit Lions. The game's interesting, though, because the Arizona Cardinals have uh, Hopkins, Murray, and Drake all north of 25% ownership projected right now. Christian Kirk's around 10. On the other side, in a game that still has a monster total, Kenny Galladay is the only one really drawing any attention uh, as our ownership stands right now. Yeah, uh, and I think that, you know, TJ Hawkinson is a really interesting pivot of actually, if we want to remember TJ Hawkinson's very first NFL game, uh, seven catches, 132 yards and a touchdown in that overtime game against the Cardinals last year, but like more long term. Something I think that's pretty important is to develop priors with players so that you're like, I would like to be buying this player, even if there's not anything specifically jumping out about this matchup, just because I would like to have leverage on the field on this player, because I think that at 
you know, some indeterminate point in the future, his price will be higher, his ownership will be higher. And this is a, a good matchup, uh, actually probably the best matchup, right? Flowchart against the, uh, the Arizona Cardinals for the tight end. Shout out to our, our boy, Al Zeidenfeld. And I mean, you're going to get six to 10% ownership in tournament formats on Hawkinson. That might even be, that really might even be high for Hawkinson. So I, I like him. I think that Marvin Jones, after basically disappointing for two weeks in a row, like again, we're talking 3% ownership on him or something like that. I think the most interesting wrinkle for Detroit, Arizona, though, is seems like Christian Kirk is not going to play. He's not practiced at all this week, not at practice today. Uh, I, I'm I'm basically ready to just jam it in on Andy Isabella. Here we go. <laughs> just jamming it in. Okay. That was, I, I believe you actually created that term. Like not, <laughs> that, In the DFS space, not sure many people used jam him in until you started using it frequently maybe four or five years ago. So it's good to hear it again, I got to tell you. Uh, so, okay, Alex, if Christian Kirk doesn't play, that'll definitely open things up. It might even flood more ownership towards Hopkins and, and potentially Drake. <clears throat> How do you approach a game like this right now that has the bulk of ownership coming in on one side of the game? Yeah, I mean, I think... Arizona is just insanely popular this week, given the matchup. They have a total of 30.5. They're not really priced high enough at all on any of the sites. So that makes a lot of sense why they're so popular. Detroit, I mean, they're not nearly as popular. Uh, we have Stafford at six or 7.4% compared to Drake, at, or sorry, uh, Murray at 27%. So he's still one of the highest-owned quarterbacks on on Sunday slate, six highest. So it's not like I'm going out of my way to get guys from this game. If I do uh, get guys, I mean, I'll probably stick to Galladay, Jones, and Hawkinson. Maybe with Galladay coming off the injury and not having played this year, his ownership will be a little bit depressed, even though he stands out as a really good play. Um Hawkinson, he's just really expensive on DraftKings. On FanDuel, 5,400. He makes sense. On DraftKings, he's 5,300, which, uh, given their salary cap, is a lot more. So I I think there's other games I like a lot better, and this game being one of the two highest totals of the week is just not doing it for me. Is there any interest at all in the run game for Detroit now that it, it's been very hard to decipher uh, what's going to happen there outside of, you know, Adrian Peterson likely still getting work if, if it's a favorable game script. DeAndre Swift is being used uh, more so as a pass catcher than on the ground. Uh, and Curry and Johnson has been relegated to uh, seven or so touches per game. Yeah, I think this backfield is just too hard to peg. If, if we had some inside info, you know, in chat, let us know if you have <laughs> any, uh, any sources in the Lions. But I think uh, we already expected a carry on Johnson, DeAndre Swift timeshare, and just throwing Adrian Peterson in the mix is he actually played the most week one, I think, which was insane. So I think uh, it's just a stay away spot for me. So, oh, by the way, AJ Brown was just ruled out for that Titans game. We're starting to get a lot more information. Juju Smith uh, is expected to play. Uh, and Ad, uh, Davis, you mentioned it. It's a very good chance Christian Kirk doesn't play. George Kittle's out. It's looking ugly. But if we if we turn the page to Seattle and Dallas, Davis, Football Outsiders pace stats show Dallas is averaging 19.69 seconds per play, which is easily the fastest in the league by by four full seconds. Seattle, on the other hand, dead last, 31.28 seconds per play. Now, I want to put this in context a little bit. Dallas has been playing from behind in consecutive games, so I do think that makes a pretty significant difference. But even in the first half, 20.24 seconds per play, they're playing at an ins like a lightning-fast pace to start the season. They are playing at a lightning fast pace to play the season. And I expect that basically to continue because their defense is terrible and they have to get into hurry up mode in the second half in every game. And then when they get in hurry up mode and they stop running on first down, they uh, complete a lot of passes and score a lot of points because they have the best grouping of wide receivers in the NFL. So, you know, I, I basically would expect that to continue. I think what you're actually hoping for, if you're really jamming these game stacks is you're hoping 
for some weird special teams thing to happen for some fumble to happen, like literally exactly what just happened with the Seahawks on Sunday night where Russ, uh, the, you know, the pass bounced off of uh, Greg Olson or I don't remember if it was Olson or Disley, but then there was the Patriots pick six. Like that's literally exactly what you're hoping for, for Seattle to kind of not be in desperation mode, but to be ready for, you know, but to be ready for a lot of passing attempts from Seattle. How do you how do you anticipate this game going though? Of course we're looking for that, but is is this a contest where there's I guess there's really never much risk of Ezekiel Elliott ever being phased out, but do you see this being a spot where Dallas defensively is just so weak they get gutted early and have to play from behind? Uh could we have a shootout situation here? It feels like no matter what, a lot of points are going to be scored. Uh and and it's a tough game to to want to get away from. So are there any ways really to differentiate here within the game while still getting big pieces of it? I mean, I think Zeke is the way to do it because they're just using him in the passing game a ton. He has 11 targets through two games looking more like his 2018 usage instead of his 2019 usage. But then also, I mean, Dalton Schultz had 10 targets last week and I know that they threw, I know that they threw a bunch of passes, but uh, I mean, that is like 10 targets from Dak in this game at like literally like 2% ownership. Maybe, maybe that is even high. I think it's pretty interesting. All right. You ended that sentence there. Like you were going to keep going. <laughs> so I, <laughs> no, no, I, and I have no, I have no good pivots for Seattle. I think Metcalf Lockett, and, and Carson is like kind of a semi pivot, but the thing about Seattle is they're actually really low volume offense. Like even these games where Russ throws five touchdowns, it's like he might complete like 31 passes. So, you know, if David Moore catches a touchdown, if Greg Olson, if Will Disley, if these guys catch a touchdown, they're still probably not making optimal lineups or like GBP winning lineups because it's probably like 12 points instead of like 18. Yeah, and Alex, he's just been, Russell Wilson's just been wildly efficient uh, as a passer, right? He's, he's attempted... 28 and 35 passes, but on the year he's completed 82.5% of them. It's insane. He's thrown a touchdown on 14% of his passes through the first two weeks. Uh, so low volume for sure. I think we can expect him to continue being efficient. What are you doing with, with the, uh, Dallas and, and Seattle, knowing that it's going to be along with Arizona, Detroit, the most popular stack on the slate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think both teams, it's going to be hard to fade the game because both passing offenses are very efficient. There's one narrative I've been hearing about Seattle that all of a sudden they've changed philosophy and they're like a pass-first team. I just like don't buy into that very much because it's like usually when there's a narrative like that, um, it's because of some like coaching change. Like Minnesota, they went to a really run-heavy team after uh, they got a new head coach, Seattle, like they still have the same head coach. So I'm like, how much different can we really expect it to be? So I think um, one contrarian pivot you could make in this game is you just play one of the running backs, uh, Carson or, or Elliott, and uh, it could be like a one-off from the game. And you just hope that it's a lot more one-sided than people expect because the game fade is almost as in play in NFL as the game stack, because this is so hard to predict which games will have the right game flow to, to really create a lot of fantasy production. Yeah. And you know what? Last year they <laughs> threw on 54% of their plays this year. It's like 57%. So it's really not that much of a difference. Uh, can you, so, okay. So with Chris Carson, he's another guy that's in this same price range as, as Chubb and Sanders and Eckler and Connor and, and Jonathan Taylor. It, it, can you see yourself getting to a decent amount of them this week, knowing that right now his ownership is coming in at uh, 10%, just shy of 10%, sorry? I don't love him as a play because he, he is losing some rushing attempts to Hyde and Homer and Hyde are running some routes as well. So, I mean, he doesn't stand out as like a great value this week. But I kind of like that leverage you can get over the game where everyone's playing the receivers in this game. So if you play the running backs and hope that the, the pendulum swings the other way and there's a lot of rushing attempts in the game, that could pay off. Davis, the hype around uh, Cam Newton is real. There's no denying that. And in our top stack tool at Awesome, we've got New England essentially with the third highest ownership right now. Cam Newton, at least, with the third highest quarterback ownership. Uh, and then the Raiders are getting nothing. Across the board, 
Raiders going uh, widely overlooked. And, you know, there was, there was debate whether or not Josh Jacobs would be on the field or, or Darren Waller. But talk to me about this one with one side being very popular, the other side with the Raiders coming off a phenomenal Monday night win against uh, an aging Drew Brees in the New Orleans Saints. Is there anything we can do with this game to get different? So I actually think that Cam Newton, you can run uncorrelated. I think that you can run him without a pass catcher. I think that you can run him without a Las Vegas Raiders bring back. And I think that you can do that until he re-injures his shoulder or that surgically repaired foot. Like I, I, I think that he has a chance to actually score more fantasy points than, than Dak, than Lamar, because when they get down in around, you know, five, six yard line, like there's no Sony Michelle, there's no James White screen pass. It is bring in Ryan Izzo, bring in Dalton Kane, bring in the fullback and we are going to run QB power and we're going to run it three times. And then we'll maybe go for it again on fourth down. I mean, they were there right to win the game against Seattle. And there was not even a thought of like trying to trick them or do anything. It was just straight up. We're going to get Cam Newton, um, another rushing touchdown. And we know like they've been even in with Cam Newton passing so well and so much, like they've still been a, a very run heavy team relative to league averages. Now, if you absolutely were like, I, I I'm stacking in all my teams, I'm doing all the bringbacks. I actually love Darren Waller this week, 5,700 on DraftKings. He is a 38% target share of the Raiders offense. Like he, he leads the NFL in target share. Darren yeah, Waller, does. not just at tight ends, but the entire yeah. league leads the entire league. Now, this is, this is what people will say to that. Obviously, you know, Patriots, good defense, but then also Bill Belichick, you know, he just, he locks up the, the opposing team's number <laughs> one weapon. He does it. He's such a good coach. He knows how to do it. And like, of course, you can go through and find a hundred examples of like, you know, teams shredding him, right? Of like number one, number one guys, just, you know, completely dunking on the Patriots. And I mean, football is so random, like stuff will just either happen or it won't. And sometimes there's no explanation for it. But Waller, with how much we would expect him to be part of the Raiders game plan, I think is like just a a chef's kiss bring back with Cam Newton. It kind of speaks, Alex, um, to what you had said, I don't know, a little while ago, that defense matters, but maybe the shadow matchups and the cornerback matchups aren't as important, uh, or the wide receiver cornerback matchups aren't as important as as we initially might assume. Uh, another thing, too, is yeah, linebacking core for New England is not what it was. They, they, they are relatively thin at the position. Darren Waller was seen, according to, to some reporters, stretching at Friday's practice. I don't know if he got a full practice in. He was dealing with that knee. So it's worth paying attention to. Um, but uh, do you find yourself getting to the New England Patriots and or the uh, El- Las Vegas Raiders on the opposite side? Yeah, I think uh, the Patriots pass catchers seem to be very cheap across the industry. You got Demir Bird at 3K on DraftKings and 4500 on FanDuel. That's the minimum price. And like that, that would be like appropriate if it was a guy that was playing maybe half of the snaps, but he's played 94% of the snaps, the most on the team at wide receiver. So he seems like an obvious value play that just hasn't like had a big game yet. Nikhil Harry as well, he's 4,200 and 5,300. So these guys are just really, really underpriced. As for stacking up Cam, I prefer to do it with one of these guys because it is so hard to to nail wide receiver picks that just kind of locking in maybe an upside performance by your quarterback and passing uh, into your uh, projected outcome for your lineup. I think that that does help hit those wide receivers because picking three uncorrelated wide receivers is very difficult to to hit. So uh, I'm pretty excited about those guys on the Las Vegas side. uh, Waller, certainly a great play at tight end, uh, really tough position to, to fill most of the time. So I think he's a good play. And, and Josh Jacobs could be the contrary play where if Vegas gets up, he could have a big day. Davis, let's let's have some fun now, get into some some stacks and some teams, some players. It can be individual. That's fine that that we really like. At the end, uh, that are low owned. At the end of the show, of course, we're gonna do uh our, our favorite pivots of the week, our top pivots and our and our favorite low owned uh quote unquote contrarian plays. Uh I talked a lot about Buffalo and the Rams throughout the week. Uh, and then low ownership on the Bengals side against the pretty heavily owned Eagles squad. 
What's a game that you really like that's going overlooked that really shouldn't be that has that blow up potential, has the shootout potential, uh, and has the weapons from a fantasy standpoint that can get the job done if it goes the way we like? So I'm worried this game is kind of trending towards popular, but it is the Los Angeles Rams and the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, uh, this game is game. Take, yeah, that game's in Buffalo, but the Rams really only throw to three guys. They throw to Woods, they throw to Cup, and they throw to Higby. And then the Bills really only throw it to two guys. They, I mean, they have, you know, Gabriel Davis and Dawson Knox and those guys out there. But in and terms Knox of like... Knox is even out this week, so we don't even yeah. have him. Yeah, so he, he, I, yeah, he's in the concussion protocol. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that Diggs, Brown, Cup, Woods, Higby, and those two quarterbacks are... And then you throw Singletary in there as well. I mean... If you if you were just like all right I'm gonna go enter in the the one dollar dive on FanDuel I'm gonna make 150 teams and I'm just gonna stack I'm gonna use only those two quarterbacks and do you know at least two of those players and all those stacks like I, I think that is like a, a super interesting uh, you know way to approach MME this week. Yeah, and, and I think you're right about this game being trending in the opposite direction that we want it to be trending, uh, but it's still one I really like. What about you, Alex? Any games right now that? that have you uh, very excited going into the week that, you know what, maybe people just aren't paying attention to it. Yeah, like the, that call of uh, the Rams versus Buffalo. Um, I got a few different spots uh, that I'm kind of intrigued by. Uh, I think one that, that's really appealing is Carolina at the Chargers. Uh, you got McCaffrey out. You got Tyrod out. Uh so what I'm looking at in this game is, first of all, like McCaffrey being out, you could play like Mike Davis. He, he's a good value this week. There's a lot of hype around Curtis Samuel getting more reps at, at rushing. So he makes a nice play. And you also got DJ Moore, who's just a high volume receiver. So all three of those guys give uh, give some upside to the Carolina side. And, and stacking up Bridgewater, he's always super, super cheap. So that could be a, a good play. Um, and then on the Chargers side, uh, going back to what you said, Lafayette, uh, I think maybe stacking up Eckler with the quarterback, Herbert, could be under the radar move. He, uh, like, there's this narrative that Josh Kelly is kind of like taking a large part of Eckler's role, but I really see Eckler as a guy they're trying to limit to 20 touches. He got exactly 20 touches last game. Kelly got like 25, but they ran the ball like 40 times. So I'm thinking in a game where the Chargers don't have such an insane amount of rushing attempts, Eckler will get the larger share of the workload, and he's kind of by low for me. All right. Let's stick with you for a second, Alex. I'll ask you about the Jets and Indianapolis Colts only because you mentioned it earlier today. Uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to I, – I can't, I can't ride this train with you. I can't do it. <laughs> I, I just can't get there. I, I Here's my thing. I, I don't know who the Jets have. Like, Crowder's out. Perriman's out. Uh, Chris Hogan, I don't know. Maybe he plays. Maybe he doesn't. Braxton Berrios, Chris Herndon, uh, Le'Veon Bell's on the IR. Frank Gore got 21 carries last game. I, what are the, you, you tell me, because you're, you're the guy that's won more money than anybody playing DFS. What is it about the Jets that stands out and, and gives you reasonable a reasonable level of hope that that maybe they can be used as a run back or or a stack against the Colts as eleven and a half point dogs? Yeah, I think the, it's just kind of like they got to put some guys out in the field, and they're cheap. So I mean, the injuries to Crowder and Perryman, the receivers now are Barrios, Hogan, and Josh Malone. None of these guys have been like doing much in fantasy, like in their careers. But one thing that's drawing me to Barrios in particular is he played zero percent of snaps week one, played eighty six percent week two, and got eight targets. I could see that uh, he he has a lot of potential because they just don't have any high volume targets. Chris Herndon as well at tight end, he he makes a lot of sense. Um, so it's not really a question of like, like, are these guys talented? Like we all know it's not a good spot, but they could get lucky and I'm willing to take some shots on that. Okay. I'm pretty fascinated by this Atlanta and Chicago game, Alex or uh, Davis. 
regardless of what Julio Jones status is, and obviously it's going to play a significant role, but just looking at it now, um, you're, you're talking about two teams, one in, in Atlanta, whose defense is terrible and they're ravaged even more. They just lost um, Ricardo Allen. Uh, who's the other one that's not going to be back yet? Uh, the I can't remember. I think he's a safety. Forget his name. He hasn't played all season, but he was a starter. Uh, they could be down another linebacker this week. They just keep falling apart. Uh, and now you've got Mitch Trubisky walking into a matchup that actually might continue to make him look decent. While on the other side, the only thing giving Atlanta shots every week is Matt Ryan in this passing game. Uh, what about what about this game between the Falcons and Bears? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because Trubisky, I believe that uh, Trubisky is uh, number one all time in times being in the Millionaire Maker winner's lineup. I, I believe that he has won some one million dollars three different times. And is I that think real? that is. Yeah, I mean, I know I know that he has been in it three times. I don't know if that is the most, though. Like, I mean, I assume that, like, you know, Lamar or Dak or someone maybe has done it more often. But the uh, the and the reason why he does it is he's always cheap. No one ever plays him because everyone thinks he sucks. And he has like so uh, such like such obvious stacks. Right. It's Allen Robinson. And uh, right now it is actually Jimmy Graham, which is disgusting. <laughs> but uh, Jimmy Graham, thirty four hundred dollars on DraftKings, had seven targets in week one. And then they were winning for most of last week. So they didn't have to target him as much there. But they're playing loads of 12 personnel and not playing Anthony Miller very much. So that that definitely is feeding into the Jimmy Graham stuff. But yeah, I mean, Allen Robinson Mitch Trubisky, bring it back with uh, with Calvin Ridley, like that is that is, and like that sounds like oh you're like Allen Robinson, he'll be chalk. Calvin Ridley, he'll be chalk, but like they really actually won't be because the field can't play all the dudes. Like the field can't own uh, Metcalf and Lockett at like a thirty five percent clip, and then also play Allen Robinson and Calvin. Like it's just if they, when you start thinking about how the salary constrains the field, it's just not possible. Absolutely. And right now we got Robinson weighing in around 12.9 or 12.9%. That's really low given the matchup. I mean, if he, Davis, it, let me put it this way and then I'll go to you, Alex. If Allen Robinson, if this ownership closes at under 13 or around 13%, uh, does he become one of your favorite tournament wide receivers this week? Davis? Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think that, I think that he would be one of my favorites. I need to, I need to bring up though. Like I'm just looking at my projections right now and updating them. I, in terms of pivots, I think that Christian Kirk being out actually does just give us like the most elite pivot ever, which is Andy Isabella at 3,800. Like he is, he is like the least public play ever. And if he gets there, like if he catches four passes in this game, he's getting there because he's only getting targeted like 30 yards down the field. Like, and, and he will not be owned even with everyone and, and their mom playing Kyler Murray. People are not going to play Isabella. Huh. So, all right. So you've gone to him twice now. This is definitely, this is the, this is the, I, I just, I just ran our projections. Like I just, I just went back into my stuff and moved Kirk out and Isabella is like, it's like I have neon lights dancing around telling me to play him. <laughs> Two targets, 71 air yards this season. So, <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, Alex, let me let me go back to Atla uh, Atlanta and Chicago for a moment. We can close the show with more Andy Isabella talk. <laughs> but is the uh, is the is there concern that Anthony Miller's snap counts have been just really low? Because to me, it's it is a little bit concerning. I think there's still going to be opportunity. You know, he might find himself getting a red zone look or two. He's had, uh, he said one red zone opportunity in each game, but as far as snap counts go, he's played fewer snaps on a year than Darnell Mooney and only <laughs> one more than Javon Wims. So it, it doesn't seem like he's actually starter caliber wide receiver right now. It, it's a little bit concerning to me. What are you doing with the bears and the Falcons? Yeah. I mean, uh, Anthony Miller, I agree. It's just too concerning in the snap counts. 55% of routes on week one, 52% on week two. So it's not even like there was one week where he was out there more. And uh, and when you have Trubisky thrown to him, like that's not even a great quarterback. So like I think Miller is definitely a fade. I agree with Davis. I may be going to Graham as your second target and Chicago makes sense. I do like the game though. I think that uh, it has potential if Chicago can, can have a, a day where they overperform. 
because Atlanta's defense really isn't that great, particularly versus pass. So I think there's upside there. And I, I kind of want to buy low on Julio Jones. He's basically been the third receiver this year so far for for the Falcons. Fourth uh, last week. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he has 16 targets in two weeks. He's been targeted 18% of the time. Uh, that's a lot lower than Calvin Ridley. He's been targeted 24% and engaged 24% as well. So I think that uh, the targets like are they, there's a lot of variance there, and it, it varies a lot from week to week. I mean, you could have a guy that's projected for six targets get ten targets in two straight weeks, and then like if you're just going off week one and week two, like you're not accounting for all that noise. So I'm kind of leaning on last year's sample where Julio was clear number one. I think it's somewhere in between last year and this year. So that's kind of making me think he, he might not be like a hundred yard a game guy anymore, but if uh, if he can get eighty yards a game and he's seventy four hundred, that's an interesting spot. All right, and I'll just throw it out there one more time: David Montgomery's the bell cow back here. Like, Terry Cohen will have a game here and there where he's going to put in a decent effort, but uh, it appears that they're going to David Montgomery as as often as they possibly can. Hey, Davis, are you buying into Russell Gage? No, no, man, I'm I'm not. I, I think that, like, if Julio Jones is active and on the team, like, he's not going to have an 18% target share. Like, it's got, like, maybe maybe Gage has earned his way into, like, 18% target share, and, and it's, like, 24% Julio, 26% Ridley or something like that. But I, I can't. I can't get on board with with Russell Gage being like scoring like 14 fantasy points a game. Like I just can't. can't. <laughs> it's tough to get to, man. What about Cincinnati? AJ Green leads the league in air yards. Uh, Matt Kajewski, who was on a show with me earlier, mentioned that somebody on Twitter was calling them prayer yards, which is actually <laughs> really good. Uh, but it, according to Pro Football Focus, none of his eight deep passes, which also leads the league, have been catchable. But Burrow just keeps going back to him, even. Uh, in dire straits towards the end of that game down by two scores against Cleveland. He kept going his way. Uh, and then Tyler Boyd had a, had a, ba- a bit of a bounce back game. Joe Mixon continues to struggle behind that bad run blocking. Uh, and Joe Mixon threw over 60 times in week two. H- how about this spot Davis against Philadelphia where they're four and a, they're getting four and a half points on the road, but Philly's defense hasn't shown a whole lot that much either. Is Cincinnati uh, uh, primed for a decent spot at low ownership, or should we be looking elsewhere? I mean, I like playing the Cincinnati guys because they just completely abandon the ground game when they go down. Zach Taylor seems to be pretty smart about that. Like, he's not trying to run Joe Mixon on first down, down two touchdowns. He's like, look, either Burrow can make these throws or or he can't, but we're going to lose either way, so I'd rather let Burrow throw. I guess the one thing I'm concerned about is they watch the film from that Browns game, and they're like, oh my God, we are going to get Joe Burrow killed as a rookie and he's never going to come back. I I believe the stat from PFF last week was he was hit on like 40% of his dropbacks that like he was was under pressure or hit like that many times. And it's like, I mean, he just, he's going to get hurt. Like you're not going to have a franchise quarterback if he's getting that demolished. So maybe they go a little bit more conservative, but I, I actually think like Tyler Boyd, and T Higgins, I will not publicly say anything kind about a 32 year old NFL wide receiver. You're not gonna, you're not gonna get me on the record going that direction. I, I actually don't hate um, Boyd, Burrow, and and Sample this week. And and uh, I, I don't know if T Higgins is minimum salary. If he is, I would maybe throw that dart. He's not, so never mind. I will say something nice about a 32 year old wide receiver. It's not over yet. The lights are still on. They're dim, but they're still on. It's AJ Green week, baby. Look, I'm not too not too worried about Darius Slay. I will say this much though, on the record, if AJ Green fails to come through this week, I'll hang it up, I'll take the loss, and I'll move on. Feel free to berate me on Twitter, but you have to be following me at Luffy underscore D. It's L O U G H Y underscore D. And of course, follow Alex at Awesome O D F S and Davis at Davis Matic. It's M A T T E K. All right, um, let's let's sit on one more spot here, then we'll get to our, our top pivots, our top fades, and our top pivots for week three. Uh, Alex, any other spots that you think the viewers need to hear about? Like I said, we're not doing 13 games. It'll take hours. But I want to get to all the really important stuff and good spots to get away from and really start be, or beginning to, to build your lineups out and set up everything in Cruncher. What would be another good spot to look for here if we're trying to be a little bit different? 
think Denver versus Tampa Bay, like uh, with Drew Locke out, he's being replaced by Jeff Driscoll. And uh, I mean, Drew Locke has been pretty mediocre, so that shouldn't be a huge change. Uh, Driscoll adds a lot on the ground, so I think he has some value at quarterback. And then you got Cortland Sutton out for the year. Uh, but like, uh, I'm actually more interested in the Tampa Bay side. So I'm thinking like if I stack up Brady Evans or Brady Godwin, uh, I mean, there's this narrative that, that Brady is just done, but I think, uh, these guys offer enough upside individually that you can make it work. And then the only question is can Denver like keep it competitive? So, so Tampa has to keep passing. So I'm thinking maybe like, uh, KJ Hamler is a guy that uh, could be a target on, on Denver. He's the min price. He uh, has been getting hyped up a lot. He's a rookie, played 70% of snaps in week two um, after playing zero in week one due to injuries. So I think that uh, his playing time could surprise people. And I think that uh, as far as a value guy, he's kind of interesting. Yeah, glad you mentioned that, Alex, because someone just in chat a moment ago said, I don't know if they've talked about KJ. This is Mark Smith saying this in our super chat. About, I don't know if they talked about KJ Hamler on the show yet, but every talent show and podcast has talked about him all week. At what point is he no longer a sleeper? What about <laughs> you, Davis? Do you think he does start gaining ownership? Have you heard a lot of hype surrounding him throughout the week? I think the thing is, is Hamler's like a guy that people on tout shows will be like, oh yeah, KJ Hamler, seven targets last week, you know, stepping into this role. And then like, you know, the, the people go to open up their optimizer, their projection of choice. <laughs> and they're like, oh, he's projected for six and a half points. I'm probably, <laughs> probably not going to play that guy. Um, so I, I would, I, and also, you know, if you're, if you're the sort of person who just does it by hand and builds single entry and three max teams, uh, it, he's again, it's just not a guy that feels comfortable to click on at all in a weird way. I actually think if people were going to play him, they would be playing him in cash games to get to jam, like, you know, uh, Deandre Hopkins and Ezekiel Elliott and all the really high price plays into there. But uh, no, I don't, I don't think Hamler will be, you know, owned or chalk or anything like that at all. Because again, it's just like, there's a difference between talking about a slate and like actually getting down to running lineups. Yeah. It is so funny how throughout the week you'll, you'll, talk a great game about a player and then realize you're getting 0% even when you <laughs> manually adjust him up to fantasy points. So it's a good point. And that might be the case. I don't know. By the way, uh, just coming in now from Ian Rappaport or Schefter, I don't know. They're all the same at this point. Christian Kirk has officially been ruled out. It was, it was Adam Schefter. Officially been ruled out. So no Christian Kirk. Davis, I told you I'd get to it one more time at the end of the show. Andy Isabella, lock and load. Are we? I can't even say jam him in because he's dirt cheap. This isn't like a ten thousand dollar Christian McCaffrey. This is this is Andy Isabella coming in bottom of the barrel on DraftKings at thirty eight hundred. Here's your final. Here's your final opportunity to convince everyone. And I know you don't care to convince them, but I'm going to ask you to that Andy Isabella with Christian Kirk officially ruled out is the guy to get cheap with in week three. So. I mean, obviously it's a great matchup, right? Like everyone, everyone's playing Kirk. Everyone acknowledges that he is the highest projected quarterback or uh, everyone's playing Kyler, right? And thinks he's the highest projected quarterback of the week. And Hopkins only saw a 23% market share last week instead of the like 42% he saw in week one. And the, like, I just, I love rostering guys like Isabella where it just doesn't take them that many plays to get there. He had a 54 yard reception last week on a deep ball that if Kyler actually had just gotten like, maybe like two more yards on it. He would have just walked in for like an 80 yard touchdown scored the 88 yard touchdown against the 49ers last year. Like that, like that's his game. His game is not going to be eight catches for 64 yards. It's going to be like, it literally is going to be like, he's actually going to get you zero points or he's going to get you like <laughs> a lot of points because they're, they're, they're going to be feeding him like these high, highly volatile down the field uh, targets. So like, I, I, I feel pretty uh irrationally confident in it like he's a guy i'm like going through my season-long leagues and like putting him in his starting lineups everywhere right now <laughs> yeah playing him over a quarterback in a super flex league i get it but no it's better than larry fitzgerald giving you five for 32 or something like that which is very likely the case all right hey hit that thumbs up if you came in late uh if you're in the if you're in the mobile app and and you don't see it just click out of chat and you can pop that thumbs up it helps us greatly 
combating that YouTube algorithm around here, man. They don't like the little guys. So we're just trying to keep our heads above water, keep putting free content out here on the site. It makes it much easier uh, when we have that support from you as well. Subscribe, hit the notification bell as well. And if you didn't hear, well, I don't know where you've been, but our express package over at Awesome, the one that's only $3.95 a week, not $395, $3.95 a week, now includes all NFL showdown content. The ownership projections, the player projections, the top rank or the top plays, the rankings, everything for NFL showdown is now included in the express package for $3.95 a week. There's real, I mean, look, that alone, not even including what it's on top of the other content that's in this in the, the weekly express pass, is worth it alone on its face right there. Go to awesome.com slash join. Check it out. You can see Jordan Klein's putting it up on the screen right now as well. We have the lineup builder for, uh, for the all access pass with the ownership projections, player projections, the top stack tools uh, for football, baseball, you name it, the, uh, everything, the fantasy cruncher add on. Uh, and of course, all of these tools developed, used and given to us by the number one ranked DFS player in the world. You've heard me say it once. I'll say it again. We don't just slap his name on it. It's the real deal. These are his ownership projections. These are his real projections uh, that are up on the site that you get when you become a member here at awesomeo.com. And when you do sign up, of course, at awesomeo.com slash join, go to our premium Slack chat, sign up and join the family, join the community, talking DFS and sports all year round. Awesomeo.com slash join. Matter of fact, Davis, I remember when we first started using, we were on Skype before any of this. And I feel like, I feel like we were ahead of the Slack curve when it first happened many, many moons ago. Oh, I mean, I mean, everyone knows David Kitchen loves his web gadgets and like <laughs> Kitchen Kitchen was an early adopter of Slack. Now he was also an early adopter of Bandcamp and Trello and Asana and, you know, every other kind of organizational app you could ever possibly find. But Slack Slack was a, was a good find by Mr. Kitchen. It was. And uh, you'll like it here for sure. All right. Alex, we'll kick it off with you. We're going to do our top fades of the week, and then we're going to do our pivots of the week. Let's go, instead of going by position, let's let's do it this way. So fades of the week, give me three. And let me preface this by saying fade doesn't mean you're coming in with necessarily with 0% of a guy. It might simply mean that you're coming in well below the field, not above the field. So mind that, keep that in mind, when we discuss this, go ahead, Alex. Give me three fades for this week. Man, I feel like uh, I, I got to take a victory lap here because last week my fade of the week was Devontae Adams. Everyone's like, you're crazy. Um, but that's just how football works. Is sometimes these like sure high is. owned guys, like they just don't really deliver. So I guess one fade of the week uh, right off the bat here. Uh, I think Tyler Lockett like is way over owned based on our ownership projections. He's projected to be 25% owned. Now the thing about Tyler Lockett is he's always been elite at efficiency, but he's never been targeted at an elite rate. And uh, I'm pulling up the numbers for this last year. He was targeted about 21% of the time, 20.5% uh, last year. And this year the same. So that, that adds up to a guy that is a good receiver, but not like a number one guy like a Hopkins or uh, Devontae Adams. So I think given that he's projected to be the highest, second highest on wide receiver on the slate, I'm happy enough being under the field on Tyler Lockett. All right. Uh, Davis, who do you have? So I, I am always very hesitant to like outright fade guys who I know are going to be, you know, like mega popular. And that's why I, I preface it with, you know, it's not, you're saying 0% necessarily. So the guy who I could see garnering a good bit of ownership that I'm just like not super interested in personally is James Conner. Uh, Alex mentioned him a little bit earlier in the show. And it's not that I think he's like a terrible player that he can't get there. I just think like, Miles Sanders is better. I think Devin Singletary is a better play for the price. I think Derrick Henry is a better play if you're looking for like the contrarian low owned guy. Like if you tell me one of those guys has three touchdowns, it's Derrick Henry every day. And it's, it's not James Conner. Like I think Henry's so much more likely to break the slate. So I, I know that Conner's only kind of like middling chalk, but like that's the answer of the guy who I've heard other people talk about who I'm really just not that interested in. 
right. For me, I'm going to go with Amari Cooper. Uh, I'll keep this trend going from last week. And, you know, if you faded Amari Cooper last week, it definitely didn't kill you. He had 19 DraftKings points. That's fine. It's not bad. It's not great. But he also has a propensity to disappear, right? I know I'm a broken record with this, but if he's going to keep coming in at 20-plus percent ownership each week, uh, I have no problem making pivots away from him at a position that is ungodly deep. For example, if Allen Robinson is half the ownership of Amari Cooper, very easy decision for me. If Kenny Galladay is half the ownership of Cooper, uh, it's also a pretty easy decision. I still had a decent amount of Cooper last week, but less than the field, uh, and I, am, I, I anticipate that being the same uh, again today. All right, Davis, uh, I, was, I was saying we'd do three phases of the week, but instead of that, let's just flip it over to our, to our top pivots. And if you have more than one, that's great. If you also have any value options you like, feel free to toss them out there as well. Your pivot of the week as we close out this week three edition of On the Contrary is... Michael Gallup, you're gonna, he will be the lowest-owned wide receiver of the five guys in that game of Cooper, Lamb, Gallup, Metcalf, and uh, Lockett. He will he, On both sides, I would expect that he is going to be the lowest-owned. And what's interesting about him is for tournaments, he actually has the role you want. He's got an average depth of target of 17.5 yards down the field. They're, they're really only – like he's just running wind sprints out there, but getting you know five to six targets a game deep down the field. And for tournaments, like that's the exact type of volatility that you want to be embracing. So Gallup is going to be my, my top pivot of the week. All right, Michael Gallup and my faith here is Amari Cooper. So there's a little bit of alignment there. How about you, Alex? Oh man, this is so tough. I I guess my general inclination is to play the running back on a pass heavy game. So I think my pivots would be Ezekiel Elliott or uh, Chris Carson in this Dallas Seattle game. Just hope that one of the two teams gets a big lead and dominates the time of possession. So that's the logic there. And uh, I don't think either one is going to be super contrarian, but you're you're, you're going to be dodging a lot of high-owned players on the receiving and, and quarterback side. Okay. Uh, I'll give you kind of a, a two-fold answer where it's just look towards some of these 6K running backs. This isn't to say you need to load up on all of them. But I do think this is a week where getting a good amount of exposure to some of them and spreading it out a little bit could make a lot of sense. I think we'll see some updates, of course. But Nick Chubb's coming in at sub-1% in a game where they should have a pretty firm command of the lead in this one. David Montgomery, I mentioned, sub-1%. Uh, the list goes on. There's just a lot of these guys that are very, very low-owned right now that have that 20-plus touch upside with relative ease. So take a look at them. Uh, before we go, as a matter of fact, Davis, I did want to ask you guys about the whole injury situation and some of these running backs that, that aren't really getting discussed. You would have thought there'd be a lot more value, right, on this slate because you had Christian McCaffrey go down, you had Barkley go down, uh, uh, you had, hell, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman go down in San Francisco. Is there any real value that we are getting? Any opportunities out of these backfields? Or are they most or are they widely going to be fade situations? I think they are going to be mostly faded by the public. It, it makes Mike Davis really interesting, right? He had eight targets and eight receptions last week. They have the tough matchup against the Chargers, but we're talking about. I mean, literally, he plays in the same offense that that makes Christian McCaffrey average, you know, like 27 fantasy points a game. Now, probably they're going to have three running backs active, Bonifon, Trenton Cannon as well. But there is at least some chance that they're just like, all right, Mike Davis, you're playing 70% of the snaps and we're not changing our offense that much in just one week from what it was like with McCaffrey. I, I mean, I would say maybe like all of that coalescing into him being a smash DFS play is like, I don't know, 5% likelihood or something like that, but it certainly is going to be less than he is going to be owned. Like he will just be completely forgotten about. And then the other situation is Darius Slayton for the New York Giants. We have this super banged up 49ers team. Sterling Shepard is out. Saquon Barkley is out. They are home underdogs. Like Darius Slayton already has a two touchdown, 100 plus yard game against the Steelers, who are probably the best defense in the NFL right now. Slayton to me seems like a guy who is going to be 4% owned on FanDuel or something like that and has legit, you know, 35-point style upside? Yeah, it just doesn't seem like any of these guys are garnering a ton of ownership. The one right now coming in at, at double digits, uh, or I'm sorry, James Conner, Jeff Wilson, $4,000, 10%, 
with no with no Tevin Coleman, no Raheem Mostert, uh, Jarek McKinnon. Someone, as a matter of fact, Davis loved coming in. He was a Sparks guy. I know, just every single year he broke your heart. But uh, McKinnon getting nothing. Jeff Wilson seems to be getting a lot of ten percent. Do we get there or do we leave it alone, Alex? Yeah, I, I hated to see that ownership because after this injury to Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert, everyone was like, Jarek McKinnon's the next guy up. And I'm like, he's not going to be a workhorse. He's like that receiving back. Uh, but it seems like everyone's jumped on Jeff Wilson instead. I think that's the right move. I think Jeff Wilson will, if uh, they have a lot of rushing attempts in this game, then he'll get a lot of them. So I think that he makes a nice play. Um, McKinnon is not crazy as a, as a tournament dart because it seems like he's super well-owned in our ownership projections, which is kind of surprising to me, but uh, he's not off my radar. Coming up just in a little bit, Ben Rasa, Julian Edlow with the betting show. If you haven't gone to oddshopper.awesomeo.com yet, if you haven't listened to me when I told you to go there because it's free, and all of the books that we have on there that you can shop odds with, which you need to do to be a profitable better in this day and age, all of them have massive, massive promotions for you to sign up, like $500 free bets and wild shit that you need to be taking advantage of. Oddshopper.awesomeo.com. It's awesome. You can search the player name and all of their props come up. You can you got a bet tracker in there to track all your bets, a watch list. So you can get alerts whenever a bet moves in the or a line moves in the direction you're looking for. And just to simply use it for DFS research, for fantasy research, it's an awesome tool to have. It's entirely free. And I would definitely recommend checking it out. Stick around for Ben and Julian and the betting show. Josh Engelman, Adam Sher got NBA Live Before Lock tonight. Jason and Terry got MLB Live Before Lock. So we've got a ton coming up right here on the Awesome O channel and a little bit of free content as well at awesomeo.com. If you aren't a premium sub and you're not ready to sign up quite yet, you can head over there and check out our free NFL projections today and MLB ownership projections. Let us know what you think. That'll do it for us. Hit that thumbs up on your way out. Follow Davis Maddock on Twitter at Davis Maddock. Check out the Take Cast, the Swole Cast, and all of his work at Daily Roto and Sports Grid. You know where to find Alex and myself at AwesomeODFS at Lafayette underscore D. Thanks for watching. We'll see you back here next time on The Contrary.